Welcome to the LDS Divorce Coach Podcast. I take the sting out of divorce. This is your host, Emily Sanchez. Hello, everybody. It is a great, great, wonderful, beautiful day in Arizona. I hope it is a great day wherever you are at. Thank you so much for listening. So I have a lot of material today, a big, big subject about happiness. One of my favorite topics. Is there a secret to happiness? What can we do to foster more contentment, more happiness, more peace, whatever you want, you know, that type of positive feeling in our lives. So a lot of times when people are pursuing and pursuing happiness, you know, and you can think back to the our own Declaration of Independence, where we have this pursuit of happiness, the opposite happens. If we're not happy in this culture of ours here in America, people are like, what's wrong with you? Or what's wrong with me? You know, we think if we're not happy every second of the day, there's something wrong. I just think that's interesting. And a lot of times things happen in life, right? Our circumstances are not always perfect, and yes, there's the thought process that we can change our thoughts based off of whatever circumstances we have, even if it's terrible, that we can adjust our thinking, and I think that is a big part of it, but sometimes really crappy things happen, all right, and we are grieving or we're suffering some sort of huge loss. I think it's normal. I think we need to be okay with stopping and saying, you know what, I'm not like exuberantly happy, full of ecstasy. And that is okay. Because our culture wants to put a band-aid on it so quickly. Yeah, I heard a statistic the other day that about 30% of those who lose a child in childbirth, like right in the hospital within 48 hours, are given antidepressants just because of that. I mean, isn't that a natural thing to grieve over a missing child, over a loss of a child? I mean, we just need to remember that sometimes there are natural grieving processes. There's natural things that occur, and we need to be nice to ourselves and kind and realize and accept that that's okay. But of course, our brain is programmed to survive. So if we're not feeling at our ultimate, you know, if we're not feeling up to par, the brain will give us signals to want to try to change it, which I think is wonderful. But at the same time, we can analyze those and be patient with ourselves and realize, you know, it's okay to not be completely full of ecstasy in this moment, that we can be okay with not being completely happy for a little period of time. Now, I am a person that is happy almost all of the time. So I'm just saying that with that said, there are certain times when it's okay and that we need to be all right with that. And we, most of us know that in opposition, we find, you know, so it, opposition meaning if you are having a terrible, terrible day, then you can know within yourself what a wonderful day feels like. It's actually a gift. Now, we don't like to say that in the middle of our trials. We don't like to be like, no, because of this terrible, terrible feeling that I'm having, I am no, I'm going to be able to experience more joy in ourselves. We don't really, you know, we don't really look at that as the hard things are happening. But what if we did? 
What if we thought and pondered for a minute, you know what? Because of this depth of sadness, because of this depth of unhappiness or resentment or whatever is happening, there will be a flip side. There will be. The timing, you know, will be up to you, but there will be a flip side. You will experience more joy. Your heart will be able to feel more peace, more contentment. There is an equal and opposite reaction to every action. That's Newton's second law of thermodynamics, but I believe that applies to the universe in all of its ways. And I definitely, definitely feel that that does apply to happiness, our happiness. So if you are having a tough time, one little tidbit that can help just realize and be okay with it and say to yourself, hey, this is going to give your emotions the ability and the expansiveness to grow and be even happier. So there's a flip side. There always is. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, I came across an interesting post from one of my friends. His name is Tim Overton. And he said, you know, we've all heard that misery loves company. Have you heard of that saying before? Of course, we've heard that before. And he was just saying that he has been noticing lately that complaining breeds upon itself. When one person's complaining, the other one steps in the room, they start complaining. They feel like they have to match, you know, the other person. And complaining and misery and down talking and things like that really breed upon itself. So it loves company. But then he said, do you know what else loves company? Happiness. So what Tim noticed is that truly the misery is what breeds upon itself. But the company just loves company. All right. So go with me here for a second. So what that means is we want to connect and we can connect in happy ways or we can, the misery can breed upon itself and connect with itself, and uh, the company can go into the misery type of complaining ways. So he compared it to going into work in the morning, and people were complaining about it being Monday, and more and more complaints were happening. And so he decided he wanted to switch it around. So he started talking about the fun times his family had that weekend, He started asking questions what other people did and how because Mondays are kind of the start of the fresh week, it can help us appreciate the weekends. And so he would totally flip these negative conversations into the positive. And he noticed what happened. More and more people were engaging, more and more people were sharing, and that the flip side, that opposition, got completely turned to happiness. So he made it his goal to focus on the connectivity, you know, when you're in company of people, of changing the complaining, the um, low, lower type feelings to positive, higher type feelings and experiences and sharing. And so I thought that was really cool. So both of them, misery and happiness, love company. It's interesting. Humans love company, right? That's what we breed on. And that's going to be my first point. 
in thinking, is there a secret to happiness? Well, there has been so much research. I have so much material that I hope that I can cite it correctly. I hope I can get to a lot of it. I was listening to a man called Johan Hari. He has spent the last decade researching our emotions, researching anxiety, depression, drug abuse, drug addictions, and why. And if you go to thelostconnections.com, you can learn more. And he actually has recordings of his interviews with people around the world. And he was on the Rich Roll podcast. The person that pointed this out to me spoke in my church, and I loved his talk. His name is Jared Duclos, one of my friends. And so he pointed these things out to me because I love the studies so much. So I wanted to share them with you. Johan Hari, as he is going around the world studying why we're depressed, studying why we take drugs, studying why the biggest thing you know, and you can see where I'm going with it with his website, The Lost Connections, which is also a book. And I believe he's also doing a documentary that we have lost connections, that that is the root cause for this depression, for the opposite of happiness. That if you look back, way back in time, the only way to survive was with a tribe. You know, the only way to gang up against the animals and why our human race existed uh, through the ages was because our brains were designed to formulate um, advantages to outsmart the animals, to capture, to eat, to hunt. But we had to do that as a tribe. If you went alone... Goodbye. <laughs> you know, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive in that crazy, lonely, dreary world that once existed. Now we live in the society of individualism and it has its own separate values. But one of the studies that he showed, and, and this one, I'll have to point you back to the website because I'm just. It just was brought to my mind right now, so I don't have the exact names. But he told of a woman who was clinically depressed for seven years. She lived in the UK, in the, in the city, and she was basically a hermit. She shut everybody out. And in the study that they conducted, they found this woman and I think 10 to 15 other people similar to her who were kind of shut-ins, who were definitely depressed. And so in the experiment, they took them and placed them in a group to do gardening gardening together once a week for half an hour. That's all it was. But they went out, and this is in the middle of the city, so you don't really think of gardening, but they had their hands in the soil. They learned about it. They learned about the season. They learned about nature. They learned about what grows, what doesn't grow. They connected. They had a, the community garden. It wasn't just one of them. It was all of them. And so as they were doing this and building this, they fostered relationships. They had th something to talk about. They looked forward to it, so they actually started meeting more than just once a week. And what he was saying was not only was this, it, it became a community, it became relationships, it became that connectivity 
that we need so much in our lives, but it was also a way for them to connect with nature. And so that was another key thing they said. As we connect with nature, we can feel a little bit, you know, it does contribute to our well-being and our happiness. So I liked that study, of course, connecting with people first and foremost. So we've learned by now <laughs> that the studies show more and more and more that money does not equal happiness, okay? More possessions and nicer things, etc. That does not equal happiness. But we want the feelings that we think will occur by changing those type of circumstances. So we think the added security of being rich or whatever, whatever will offer more peace and serenity. But we know that's not true. And going off a little bit here, I remember watching a documentary on Netflix about three years ago, and it was on happiness. And they studied different parts of the world. And the findings showed the same thing as what I'm going to get to in a little bit. But they, they all showed that some of the poorest places in the world produce the happiest people. And it was specifically Southeast Asia. Okay, and I believe it was in Malaysia they interviewed this man who worked in the fields. It was hard work. But he, and he lived in a hut with a dirt floor. He had hardly nothing. And he was so happy. He was so happy to have a wife. He was so happy to have children. He was so happy to have his neighborhood, his community. He, he was happy to have his work and the people he worked with. He had a strong relationship with with his community. And so it was just interesting that I remember that still in my mind. But one thing, one of the studies that really stood out to me was done by a Dr. Brett Ford. And she went to Berkeley, but the study was done at the University of Toronto, where she had college-age adults participate in different countries. So there was Russia, there was East Asia, you know, Thailand, I believe, was one, and, and other countries down there. Then there was Germany, and then there was the United States. And how they collected data basically was based off of a series of questionnaires, basing uh, kind of a happiest, happiness scale. And so they said to the participants, we want you to go pursue happiness. You know, there's the American dream again. We want you to do everything you know how to be more happy. All right, we're going to see who can kind of increase their happiness. So the findings showed that Germany remained the same. There was no improvement. There was no decrease. The countries that improved the most and gained a lot of happiness were Russia and East Asia. And then interestingly enough, the US participants decreased in their happiness. They found also the reasons why. So in Russia and East Asia, those countries are a little bit more about community. They're a little bit more about connecting. They found that the participants went and spent time with family members. They invested in their relationships. They gave more. They focused on others. They were serving 
their community, working in different capacities, and basically working together as a community in Russia and East Asia. And that is what helped them gain more happiness. Now, what do you think in the good old U.S. of A. the participants did? Yes, we know what they did. We, again, have this individualistic type value in the United States. So, they tried to make money. They tried to, they went and got a massage. You know, let's have a me day. Let's have the spa day. Let's, let's think about what I need. Their focus became more on them, them, them. Okay. Our own selves, what we want. So they were trying to pursue those type of things individually and ended up becoming less happy, unfortunately. But I thought it was an amazing study. And uh, Johan Hari says this line in, in the, the podcast. He said, just like junk food has taken over our bodies and is making us sick, so are junk values taking over the emotional side of things and making us emotionally sick. Gosh, I love that. I love that. And basically what he was saying is having our focus solely on ourselves, letting our thoughts spin out to what is in it for me, withdrawing, having that attitude of basically just <laughs> doing everything for yourself and not kind of seeing your neighbor um, is very, very detrimental. But I really like that phrase, junk values. Back to my friend's talk that I heard, he quoted the scripture in Acts about the Savior and how he went about doing good. You know, we can learn a lot from the Savior. We can learn a lot from different spiritual leaders as well. What are their patterns? What do they do? But for the sake of Jared's talk, he pointed out that the Savior went about doing good. <laughs> do you think that we can see a little bit of the secret of what peace could be like by following the life of someone who we know was perfect? So, going about doing good. One of my favorite scriptures, and I always quote it here, is he who loseth his life for my sake, this is Christ talking, shall find it. So as we serve others, that's where we find it. That's where we find the spark. That's where we find the happiness. So he went about doing good. I want to end with one more study that I think is pretty awesome. So in the early 20th century, there were many studies done with rats in finding out how addictive different substances were. And um, as we know, there's an opiate crisis. Heroin has been studied with rats in many different instances, but there was a different type of study in the late 70s by Bruce K. Alexander out of the university in British Columbia. And his study was different in that the studies previously were all done with rats in their own, you know, little cage where they didn't have any interaction with anybody else. There was water, normal water, and then water laced with heroin. And so, you know, of course it showed that that became addictive and that all of the rats were, you know, 90% or 95% or whatever became addicted and chose the water laced with heroin. Bruce K. Alexander noticed, well, rats are very social 
type of species and they need interaction for us to have a complete you know view and answer about the addictive qualities of heroin let's build a huge park rat park let's get the wheels in there let's get different colors of balls let's get like 20 different rats let's put them in there so they can mate so they can interact Let's put different cheeses in there. Let's like make this super fun. And he called it the rat park. So it was huge. And then they still had, you know, the water that was normal and the water laced with heroin. They had, you know, ways of getting it so that they could truly measure how often and if they became addicted. Well, they found in that study that because there were all those other things to occupy them, that the rats, only 10% became addicted. And so a lot of researchers thought this study was controversial because it pointed out that heroin was not in and of itself what made someone addicted to it. Does that make sense? But it was the person's surroundings. All right, and we can liken this to a person with a lot of emotional baggage, you know, somebody that's focusing so much on the negative, someone that's focusing on themselves, someone that feels super lonely in their lives, someone that is not, you know, connected to the group as being kind of those soul rats stuck in the cage. Of course, you're going to be addicted, but I just found that study to be very eye-opening that as we go about doing good, having other choices, having the interactions, that we are less likely to see temptations as temptations even. And so I thought that that was a really cool example of going about continually and and doing good. So in conclusion, I mean, there was so much, so I encourage you to go and, and see. I believe that thought work, you know, I, I've stated and quoted from Brooke Castillo about her model, the circumstances turn into our thoughts, which turn into our feelings, which turn into our actions. And I believe a lot of things can be solved through learning how to switch the wiring of, so to speak, and to switch the thinking. But a lot of times too, we just need plain old action in our lives to generate. And sometimes we do need a change of circumstance. And that's okay. I think that everybody is different and everybody's situation is individual to them. But what I'm saying is, yes, thought work is is great, but we also need action. So I hope that I've made a couple of points. The biggest one being go out and do. If you want to be happier in your life, if you want to feel less stress, if you want to feel contentment and peace, that there are ways of doing this. There are ways when we connect and build relationships and try to be selfless in our relationships and give, let's get the focus off of ourselves and out into the world. Who needs help? We can truly feel more happy as we connect with other people and we go about doing good. So that's my message for today. I hope you like the studies. Let me know what you think. I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful day. Okay, make it what you want. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Come on over and visit me at CoachEmilySanchez.com. 
Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, make it a great day.